There's no other name like the name of Jesus. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. No other name like the name of Jesus. No other name that we can come to God under. No other name than Jesus who sets us free from our sin, who saved us from death, hell, and the grave. Nobody like him. And so today, that's what we're here for. We're here to worship him through the music, through our giving, through the word. And uh, today we're going to continue in our series called Faith and Fear. And in this series, we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 17 with David and Goliath. And today we're going to be focusing in on verses 25 through 31. And we'll take that and read that, talk about it a little bit. That's going to springboard us into some other things. But uh, first of all, I want to pray for us and pray that God would move in a mighty way through the preaching of his word and that uh, we leave here different than we came in. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, God, for what you do. God, thank you that your grace for us is sufficient. God, that you cover us in your love. You cover us in the righteousness of Christ. God, we thank you for that. God, my prayer is that today none of us leave here the way that we came in, that we leave here different, God, that we leave here more like you. God, just have your way in this service. Have your way in our hearts, Lord. We love you and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want to read to you 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 25 through 31. And to set it up a little bit, this is where uh, King David, or soon to be King David, is going to fight um, Goliath, the Philistine. And we're going to pick up in this part where King David has come to the battle lines. He's there at the battle lines and he had come only to bring some supplies to his brothers. But once he gets there, he sees Goliath. He hears what Goliath's doing. That's where we're picking up today in verse 25. Uh, It says, now the Israelites had been saved. Do you see how this man keeps coming out? Goliath had been coming out day after day, taunting them, saying, basically, if you'll send out your best warrior, I'll fight him. And if we win, we take everything. If you win, you take everything is basically what's been going on. So he's coming out day after day. It says, he comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. But listen to this, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. So Eliab lights into David, questioning his motives, questioning his heart, questioning his responsibility. He says in verse 29, David says, now what have I done? Can I even speak? He turned away to someone else. I think it's interesting that David just turns away. It doesn't say that David got angry. It doesn't say that David uh, became hardened towards his brother. He simply turns away and asks someone else the same thing. And he brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. So Saul hears about him. He sends for him to come to him, and then David begins to make his way towards fighting Goliath. And so I want to pray uh, just that this word would sink in real quick just before we start. God, thank you for your word. 
God, let it sink deep into our hearts and do what only you do, God. Change our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, how many of you, you probably had this experience, but how many of you have been to Six Flags before in Atlanta? Some of you have been there. Um, we went there quite often when I was little, and uh, we, we would go at least one time a year, and that was probably about enough after you stand in the lines the whole day. But we went one time, and there were a bunch of my cousins and aunts and uncles and just a whole bunch of our family went to Six Flags one day, and we get there, and as soon as we get there, they decided they wanted to go ride one of the water rides, which is, uh, I think it was Thunder Mountain, I think is the name of it. And so we go get on Thunder Mountain, and we're riding this ride, and there's a chance that you're going to get really wet. Well, we got the chance, right? And so we got soaking wet. First thing that morning, as soon as the park's open, we are in there. We get soaking wet the rest of the day. Our clothes were wet until they finally dried out that afternoon. But can you think of something that might have happened to us after we got wet like that and we started walking around the park with wet clothes on? Can anybody think of what might have happened to us in that, in that time? Chafed. That's right. Chafed. It was like if you took these two sand blocks right here and put them together, this is what my legs felt like, right? When I would walk, it's like... And, and I mean, it, it was, it hurt. It was uh, not fun. It was, it took kind of all the fun out of the day um, because we were chafed the rest of the day. It was terrible. Um, and so uh, I, I thought about that this week as I was preparing this message because the truth is that we run into a, a, a lot of things in life. Jesus even told us that in this world we'd have trouble, but he said, take heart for I've overcome the world. And, and that, that trouble, the things that come against us, is kind of like the rub of life. Things rub against us, and things cause us pain at times, and things cause us to be wounded at times. And here's the thing that I've learned, is that there's this dynamic that has to work with us in God, where we are tough-skinned tough enough, thick-skinned enough, that we can do the things that God wants us to do, but somehow also we have to maintain a tender heart because when the rub of life comes against us, when, when that comes against us, it oftentimes will make us withdraw from people. It can make us build up a hard wall around us. It can make us become bitter and unforgiving, and it can take us out of what God wants us to do. And every one of us in here are, have experienced and maybe are experiencing that rub, that friction uh, today. You maybe you're walking through something in your life right now where you've experienced that. And so when I was thinking about that, though, I thought about how anytime you try to do something for God, you're going to come up against this. Anytime you try to do something for God, you're going to end up feeling that way. Um, I talked with somebody a couple of weeks ago, and they said, it seems like the more I try to grow closer to God, the harder things become. And there's a reason for that. It's because there is one who doesn't want you growing close to God. His name is Satan. He wants to come against you to keep you from doing what God created you to do, from being what God created you to be, and from having what God created you to have. And so he comes against us. And I was looking up the definition of friction this week. And one of the definitions of friction is two opposing wills when they clash, the clashing of two opposing wills. And I thought about the friction that takes place when two wills collide. And so when you begin to do something for God, you begin to follow God's will for your life, Satan's will begins to come against you. And there begins to be a rub. There begins to be friction that takes place. And, and it, it, it can come against you to tear you down. 
The thing I want you to see first this morning is that there's three weapons that Satan uses to try to tear us down, to try to come against God's will for our life as we are following God's will. There's three things that I want you to write down this morning that, that have to do with Satan and his weapons he uses against us. The very first weapon is very close to you because the first weapon is you. Right? How many of you have lived long enough to realize that you are your own worst enemy? That when you live the way you, you would normally live, uh, following your heart, so to speak, uh, the problem is we often become destructive to ourselves. We can hurt ourselves more than anybody else by doing the things that we want to do, by not living in God's will, but by living out our own will. Um, how, how many of you have ever felt that conflict within you that you know what to do, but you just don't want to do it, right? You just want to go a different direction. One of the apostles, the apostle Paul, had this same experience. And I want to read to you uh, the apostle Paul's experience as he is dealing with this weapon, this, this flesh that we live in, and he's trying to live for God. I want you to hear what he says. He says, we know that the law is spiritual. This is in Romans chapter 7, verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but what I hate, to, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. He sounds like Dr. Seuss. As, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do not want to do, or he's got me tongue-tied. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. This is the Apostle Paul. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? You can feel the friction. You can feel the conflict going on inside of him, the rub, as he tries to do God's will, and, and, and he's fighting against his, his sinful nature. And if we're in Christ, there should be a battle that goes on inside of us. The Holy Spirit of God battling against our sinful flesh so that we, we begin to live a new way in following the Spirit. But we have to make a decision that I'm going to follow after God. I'm going to do His will. And anytime we do that, Satan wants to come and use ourselves as uh, one of his weapons to try to tear us down. He doesn't want to just simply hinder your walk with Christ. He wants to destroy you. And if he can't destroy you, he wants to at least hinder you from being able to do what things that God created you to do. The second weapon that we see is others, is others. Satan uses other people in our lives many times to come against us. People whose will conflicts with mine so that other people come and they begin to grate on my flesh. They begin to cause me uh, anguish and anxiety. They begin to rub against me as my will and their will collides in my life. Um, I, I can make this one very easy for you to see. How many of you in here are married right now? You, you're married. You ever had a conflict in your marriage, right? How many of you have ever had a conflict in your marriage? I see some of these guys, they can't get their hand up quick enough, right? They're like, that's me, that's me. And, and, and if you've been married more than, I don't know, 45 minutes, you've probably had this in your life, right? 
um, where, where this rub, this rub that just comes against you uh, as your wills uh, go against one another. Because let's be honest, your will is, I want to go play golf. Her will is, you need to cut the grass, right? There's a rub. Your will is, hey, how about some hanky-panky? Her will is, I'm going to sleep, right? And so that's kind of how it works. That's, that's about how it works. And there's this conflict that takes place, this rubbing that takes place. And we, we have a lot of more serious um, conflicts in marriage many times with more friction that is more serious as things as we come in contact with each other in our relationship. But that's one example. How about parents? Have you ever had any conflict with your child? If your child is more than like two weeks old, you understand what I'm talking about is your will and their will um, collide. And so there's another example of how this works, where our will and other people's will intersect and really um, have the the potential to tear us down. It's what happened with David and Eliab, where Eliab's will was, David, you need to go home. David's will was, I'm here to do something for God, and I'm going to do something that you guys wouldn't do. And, And so we see in there that David has the ability, this in in this ability that I feel, feel like is something God gave him to turn from from Eliab and not get his heart hardened, but to continue to have a heart after God, not letting Satan come in and begin to harden his heart, but keeping his heart seeking God and keeping his heart soft so it can be led and moldable. He didn't let someone else come in and rob him of that. We look at the third weapon is experiences. Experiences. We have experiences that come against us. That, that, that is the rub, the grating, the, the rub of our, our flesh um, because of the experiences that we have. How many of you have ever had something that you desired that didn't go the way you desired? Again, we've all experienced that. We know what that's like. When our desire does not line up with our experience, we become disappointed. And Satan loves to use disappointment. He loves to use our experiences to come against us. And where this ends up coming to and what this ends up looking like is that when friction is deep enough for long enough, it causes wounds. When friction is deep enough, long enough, it causes wounds, whether it's ourself and we're being our own worst enemy or whether it is um, in marriage and our spouses, our two spouses are, are rubbing against each other because they're wanting different things. When the rub is deep enough for long enough, the problem is that we experience pain. We experience pain. We get, become wounded. Some of the wounds form instantly, just immediately. If you were abused, you immediately came to a place where you had a wound in your heart. You had a wound that, that, that was immediate. Some of us, maybe, though, maybe you've been in a marriage that it's just been days, weeks, and months of, of just a bad relationship that's rubbed against you, and it's been something that over time has wounded you. Regardless of if it was instant or whether it was something that, that took time, the reality of it is for, for you and really for all of us in different ways that we become wounded by those things. Those things have caused us to have wounds in our life, and we need to figure out a couple of things. How do we stop the, the, the wound? How do we stop it from happening? How do we keep it from going on and on and on? And then two, how do I heal those wounds? If we're going to do anything about this, we've got to learn how to stop the friction, the clashing of wills, and heal the wounds that exist. I want to tell you two ways that we do that. The first way is through submission. The first way is through submission. We'll talk about that in just a second. The second way is through forgiveness. We'll get to this towards the end of the message. But I want you to look at first this, this word submission. 
I want you to think about it this way. In order to stop the friction, you have to do one of two things. As our wills collide with other people's wills, as, as we are, are, are having conflict with people, what ends up happening is we, or what has to happen is one of two things to stop the friction. The first one is this, that you can separate the two objects. You can separate the two people and they can go their own way and they can do their own thing and, and they, they can get away with it because there's no friction. They're not together. We've separated them. When we think about marriage, many times people separate and, and they separate because of irreconcilable differences. What was that? That was friction in their marriage. It was conflict in their marriage. So they separate so that that friction the conflict does not exist anymore. So we can separate. The second thing that we can do is we can come to a place where we uh, submit, where we, can, we submit to uh, God first and each other second. And what I want you to see happen is that when we submit our lives to God, as, as he created us to do, when we submit our lives to him and give our lives over to him, we begin to pursue him. And if we're going to stop the friction, we have to see that, that what has to happen is we have to begin to move with our spouse, if it's marriage, in the same direction at the same speed. And as we're moving at the same direction, we're pursuing God. See, he's the one that tells us the direction to go. And so we begin to move that way. And, and so if you think about these two blocks, they're no longer rubbing against each other, going opposite directions. They're moving together in the same direction, pursuing God. It's why we need to understand the, the reason marriage was created was for us to be able to pursue God together, bringing him glory through that relationship. And so we're all moving together. We're moving with our spouse together towards God. And then we need to see this, that there's that vertical submission of, to God, but there's also a, a mutual submission between the husband and the wife. And, and we see that in Ephesians chapter 5 where the, the Bible says that men should love their wife as Christ loves the church. And then the Bible teaches that women should respect their husband and submit to their husbands. And, and here's the thing I want you to see is that the woman was created not to walk in front of the man. The woman was created not to walk behind the man. The woman was created to walk beside the man. That's why the Bible says that, that he took her and made her from a rib. They were side to side. They were not um, she was not made from under his feet. She was not made from behind him. They were created to be partners that walked through life together. And so when we look at this and we see that the man and wife have submitted themselves to God and they're moving in the same direction, when they submit themselves to each other, they move at the same speed. And it begins to take away the conflict that happens. It takes away the, the opposing wills that take place and that grinding that creates the wounds. Now, how many of you know that that's a perfect scenario? It's ideal in how it works. How many times does ideal actually happen? It doesn't, right? Because we, we become selfish. We do things out of our own will. We, maybe we quit pursuing God's will. Maybe we aren't pursuing God at all. And so there's friction that happens. There's woundedness that comes because of it. But if we look at that um, marriage, we can see that God wants us to pursue him in the same direction and walk together in that pursuit of him. And so that's one of the things God wants for our marriage. How about parents? Think about parenting and the conflict we have with our children. In the same way, our wills oftentimes rub together. And, and, and it can create wounds. It can create heartache. It can create uh, feelings of, uh, of, of just anger and emotions that just run wild. And there's two ways you can handle this also. One way is you can just tolerate it until you know, they finally grow up and leave the house, right? And, and you hear a lot of people, they're like, yeah, praise God, they moved out and now they're on their own. Woo, you know, made it. And, and, and I think I believe that there's a better way and that way is through submission. 
There can be a separation or there can be submission in what God wants for us. And the submission first takes place when the parent submits themselves to God. And they begin to follow Jesus. And you think about this one block being the parent, and it's following after God. And then the, 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 the child, the son or the daughter, submits themselves to, to the parent as they're submitted to God. And they move together in the same speed and in the same direction as the, the child, the son or the daughter, is following their parent. And, you know, again, that is ideal, right? It doesn't always work out that way. What do you do if the parent is submitting to God and pursuing God, but the child refuses. You pray for them and you lead them by example. You continue to lead them to Christ as best you can. What if you're the child and the parent won't submit to Christ? They won't, won't follow God or pursue God. Then you submit to them anyway, unless it's something that they want you to do is harmful or sinful. And you continue to, to submit to them and you pray for them and you let your walk with God demonstrate to them the reality of who God is, praying that they would come to the realization of who God is. And so we do that. It's an ideal situation that, that never really takes place because we, again, all have our separate wills. There's other relationships that we could think about, whether it's work and, and our boss. Ideally, both are submitted to God, the employee submitted to the boss, and things work well. But how many times does that really happen? It doesn't happen very often. But this is the ideal that we should shoot for, we should aim for in our marriage, with our children, with our relationships. The problem, though, is this. Even if um, I'm able to separate the two objects, even if I'm able to separate the husband from the wife, even if they separate and they get apart, or if they stay in a marriage, it's not perfect. There's going to be woundedness that happens. It's just the way it goes. Whether I'm separating from my spouse, there's wounds that exist. Whether I'm living with my spouse, there's going to be wounds that exist. Or whether I'm living with my child, my child is rebellious. There's going to be wounds that exist. Or even if you think you've got the most perfect child in the world, which most parents think, right? Um, and we're, we're going to know that wounds will still exist. So what do we do? How do we heal the wounds that exist from the conflict of our relationships? Because none of them are ideal. None of them are perfect because we're imperfect people. We have our own struggles, our own issues that we deal with. How do we do this? And the one word that I would say helps to heal the wounds of our heart, helps to heal the wounds of the conflict and the troubles of this life is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. It's being able to forgive and move on. Before I answer how we forgive, I want to tell you some benefits of, of forgiveness, what happens when we do forgive. One of the benefits is that it sets you free. It sets you free. You're no longer bound to this bitterness and this unforgiveness. And so you, you're set free in that. God, God sets you free from the, the unforgiveness or the bitterness that you hold in your heart. See, here's the reality that when you're bitter and you're holding unforgiveness towards someone, then it's not really affecting them like we think it is. It's just affecting you. It's hurting you. It's, 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 I've heard it said that it's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It doesn't work. And so when we come to the place of finally forgiving and doing that, we come to a place of freedom where they no longer have a hold of our lives. In fact, the second benefit is this, that they no longer have power over you. They no longer have power over you because the reality, guys, listen, the reality for us is this, that as long as we're not forgiving them, they are still having power over our lives. They still have some control over our lives. 
And so whether they deserve the forgiveness or not, you deserve the peace of Christ in your heart. And so we need to look at that and see those two benefits that he sets me free and that they no longer have power over me. And I know for some of you, the the hurt is so deep, you don't know if you could ever forgive. This is what I'll tell you. If you'll begin to face that obstacle and move in that direction, the power of the Holy Spirit will work in you to move you and to help you come to a place of forgiveness because God wants you to walk in freedom of that. He doesn't want you to be bound by unforgiveness. He wants to set you free and he wants them to not have that power over your life. He wants to be the one who has the power over your life, dictating where we go, what we do, how we feel and everything in our life as he leads us and guides us through it. So we see that take place. And so we need to see the benefits of that. Before we talk about how we forgive, I wanna give you some ground rules of forgiveness some ground rules of forgiveness. This comes out of Ephesians 4.32. It says in Ephesians 4.32, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as, that's big words right there, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So just as in Christ, God forgave you. So here's what we need to see is that the goal of forgiveness The goal of the way we should forgive is to forgive like Christ, to forgive like God has forgiven us in Christ. But then here's another problem. Think about this problem. The problem is we're not God, right? So we can't forgive perfectly like God forgives. But what we can do is strive for that. We can set that as our goal, as our benchmark, that this is how I should forgive. This is how it should work. And the Holy Spirit working in me can help me get to that point of being able to forgive, being able to let go, being able to walk away from the unforgiveness and the bitterness that we experience. But we need to lay some ground rules for this and look at how Jesus forgave us and then try to emulate what he's doing as the spirit works in us. Rule number one is this, that forgiveness is complete. Forgiveness is complete, okay? We, we don't hold on to a little bit of it in case we need it later, right? We let it go completely. Think about how Jesus forgave you. He didn't forgive you just um, for something. He forgave you for everything, right? He is, the Bible says that he separates our sin from us, our offenses from us, as, as far as the east is from the west, He separates those things from us. And so we see in that uh, that he completely forgives. He doesn't hold on to it. Rule number two is this. Forgiveness makes the offense off limits. Forgiveness makes the offense off limits. We, 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 We don't keep it there just in case we need it. Because this is what happens in arguments all the time, right? Is that we get in an argument, we need some good ammunition, so we reach back for something that happened years ago, and we pull it forward to use it in our argument. It, it, it's, it's something that we do. And we need to see this that, and realize that that's not forgiveness. God doesn't bring back our old stuff. He doesn't bring back our old sins. He doesn't bring back our past to try to come and win an argument with us. And so we should strive to forgive in that way. Rule number three is that it's sincere. It has to be sincere. Jesus forgave us sincerely. He meant it. It wasn't like sometimes we say, uh, well, yeah, I forgive them. And we kind of flippantly say it. It's something that's sincere. It's something from the heart. It's something that we truly want and want to do, um, that, that we forgive. We make a choice to do that. And that's rule number four is remembering that it is a choice. It is a choice to forgive. 
that we make that choice, we make that decision. If we wait until we feel like forgiving, we'll never forgive. We'll be bitter from now on. But we've got to make a choice. See, here's the awesome thing about Jesus. Jesus made a choice to forgive us. He made a choice to reconcile us to God. He made a choice because here's the truth. Listen, it wasn't Pontius Pilate that put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't uh, the Roman soldiers who put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't the Jewish people who put Jesus on the cross. It wasn't even our sin that put Jesus on the cross. What put Jesus on the cross was Jesus. Nobody could take his life. He willingly chose to lay down his life for you and for me so that we could be forgiven. He made a choice. And that's what we need to do also is make a choice to forgive. Listen, if, if, if I held on to every negative thing that was said, every critique or critic uh, that said something to me, I would never be able to do what I do. It's one of those things where you just have to come to a point of, of, of making a choice to forgive it, making a choice to let it go, making a choice to not become bitter. And so we have to make that choice. We have to forgive completely. We make that offense off limits. We do it sincerely. And we remember that it's a choice that we make. And so with those things, the benefits and the ground rules, I want to talk a little bit about how we forgive. How do we forgive? Some keys to forgiveness. The first one is this, that I realize forgiving someone doesn't mean that you're saying what they did is okay. It's not saying that what they did is okay because here's the thing that we hold on. This keeps us from forgiving many times. I don't want them to think it's all right because it's not. It's, this is not telling them that it's okay. It's not letting them off the hook. It's not telling them it's okay. It's you coming to a place of deliverance from it so that they no longer have any power over your life. Is you standing up to the obstacle and saying to the obstacle, you no longer have any power in my life because Jesus has overcome this obstacle. I may have trouble in this world, but take heart for Jesus has overcome the trouble. And so I can be set free from that. But realizing that I'm not telling them it's okay for what they did. The second thing is the best way to walk in forgiveness is to not take the offense in the first place. It's to not take the offense in the first place. It's to live, listen, in an attitude of forgiveness. Where I'm in an attitude of forgiveness so that when the offense comes, I recognize it. I don't accept it. This is how we need to live our lives. There's always going to be offenses. There's going to be things that come against us, that are working against us. We've got to come to a place where we're able to look at it and say, I'm not going to take that offense. The best way to do it is to stop it before it starts, to keep it from taking root and taking hold of your heart and in your life. The third way is to remember the big picture. Remember the big picture. Remember that you're created from a lot more, a lot bigger things. It puts it in perspective. A lot of things that, that, that cause us bitterness or cause us to have unforgiveness, when we look at the big picture of what God's doing and what God has done for us, then we start to see how small and petty and powerless those things really are in our life when we see the big picture of who God is and what he's called us to. We can see this. And then number four is don't forget how much you've been forgiven. Don't forget how much you've been forgiven. Remember how much Jesus has forgiven you of. And then offer that same forgiveness to someone else. When we look at how much Jesus has forgiven us of and we really see that, how can we hold something against someone else. 
The last one is this, that you have to anchor your identity in Christ. And to me, you want to talk about the friction, the rubbing together. This is where the rubber meets the road. Is you've got to know who you are in Christ. You've got to realize that what they said, what they did, was not something that defines who you are. What they said and what they did does not make your uh, identity. But you are not the sum total of what's been done to you or what you've done. You're the sum total, if you're in Christ, of his righteousness. And so we have to see ourselves this way. It gives us a better perspective when we come to a point of, of having to, to stand firm as people or things come against us. We know who we are in Christ and we don't take the offense. We can even hear it, analyze it, say, is it true or is it not? And if it's not true, I get rid of it. If it is true, then I take it and I use it for good. But the reality of it is we've got to know who we are in Christ. And when you look at this, if we forgive, if we let go of the unforgiveness and the bitterness, it begins to disarm every weapon that Satan wants to use against us, beginning with ourselves. Because we are free, we come to this place where we no longer are condemning ourselves in, in, in our life. We come to a place where we actually forgive ourselves and see ourselves the way God sees us. So for some of us in here today, the hardest thing, the hardest person to forgive is you, is yourself. And so today we have to come to a place where we're willing to give ourselves the same forgiveness that God's giving us. Sometimes God forgives and it's harder for us to let go because it's hard for us to forgive. But this begins to silence the negative self-talk. And we read where Paul in Romans 7, 14 through 24, where he talked about what a wretched man he is and the conflict that was in him. But I want you to hear how this is resolved. He says in there in verse 24, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. He says, therefore, in verse one of chapter eight, therefore, because this is true, Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jesus squashes the negative self-talk that keeps us as our own worst enemy. We have to come to a place of redefining who we are by who and what Jesus says we are and not living out of a false identity. But that kills one of Satan's weapons, which is using ourself against ourself. The second weapon was others. And people will always offend. But the thing that we have to do is not take that offense. People are going to come against us. They're, the will of God is it's done in our life. We're going to have people that come against us. If you do anything for God, I'm telling you, I've lived this out for the last 17, 18 years. I've seen this. If you do anything for God... People are going to come against you. It is just part of life. And we need to come to a point where we're able to offer those people, even those who come against us, the same grace that Jesus has offered you. The last one was our experiences, the last weapon that I talked about. And we've got to guard our heart from becoming bitter towards God. Because here's the reality. When something good happens, typically God is the last person we think. When something bad happens, typically God is the first person we blame. And we put it on God. 
We have to guard our heart through the experiences of our life, not letting it become hardened towards God. Jesus told us about the trouble. He told us it would come, but he also told us that he overcame the world. And when we remember the big picture of that, we can walk away from our experiences knowing that God will work even those experiences for good if we allow him. He'll work those for good. Remember Jesus said in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. And so today I wanna encourage you that in your relationships, whether it's with your spouse, whether it's with your children, whether it's an employee, employer relationship, or it's just a friend, I wanna encourage you that the ways we heal the wounds is one, we stop it, we, we pursue God. And our prayer is that those other people will pursue him with you, that they'll do the same thing. And then because wounds are inevitable, they're gonna happen in any relationship. We need to walk in forgiveness. And I know for some of you, that is something that seems really far away. And it's something that seems almost impossible to happen. This is what I would tell you. The reality of it is for you that it may seem impossible to you, but what is impossible with man is possible with God. You can walk in freedom away from this thing that is holding you back. And God, Jesus will make you whole. That's his heart. That's what he wants for us, is for us to walk in a reconciled relationship with him, being reconciled, redeemed by him. But we can't really do that until we let go of forgiveness or the unforgiveness in our heart. So today I want to, I want to give you the first an opportunity. If you've never received the forgiveness of God through Christ, you've never accepted Christ as your savior, then today you have that opportunity. And so I wanna give you first a chance to be reconciled to God through Jesus. We call it salvation. And if today's a day of salvation for you, we wanna pray with you and celebrate that with you. If today you put your faith and your hope in Christ. So here's what I would say. If you're here today and today's a day of salvation for you and God is bringing you to himself, he's drawing you this morning and you feel that, you sense that, you know that, you've never given your life to Christ, but today is the day that you do that. Then before we go, I wanna give you that chance. And I'm gonna ask you right now that you would raise your hand and say, that's me. I need to receive Christ today. I need to receive his forgiveness. I need to walk in the power of the gospel, the power of his grace. Anybody here today that you would say, that's me then I wanna give you another opportunity. I know for some of us, we need to come to a point of laying down that bitterness. We need to lay down that unforgiveness. And here's the thing I know, you don't have to walk out of here toting it. For some of you, it may be just the, the next step of, it, of saying, I think this is possible. I think it's possible that God can do this. And if that's the first step, then praise God for that first step. I'm asking you to take a step to begin to walk away from unforgiveness in your life so that you can be set free to live for God. And so I wanna pray, I wanna give you an opportunity to come to the altar, give you an opportunity to come and lay those things down at the feet of Christ, give you an opportunity to walk out of here not carrying what you carried when you walked in. And so I'm gonna pray you can move and you can come forward. 
you can spend some time with God here at the altar before you go. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for the power of the gospel. Thank you for the grace that you give and you extend to us. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't walk out of here with bitter hearts. We wouldn't walk out of here with hardened hearts. But God, we would allow you to begin to heal the wounds in our hearts through the power of your word, through the power of your grace and through the power of forgiveness. First, your forgiveness for us. And second, God, the forgiveness that we offer others. Lord, I pray for the person here today who's the hardest of heart. God, who, who it even maybe angers to talk about forgiveness because they don't feel it's possible or because somebody wouldn't know what happened to them. God, I pray that they would see that this is not about me being able to lead them to forgiveness. It's about you working in their hearts in such a way that they'd be set free. So God, I pray that you would work in that way in their hearts and in their lives, God. I know you love them even more than I do, and I know that's what you want for them in their lives. So God, would you do that now in our hearts? In Jesus' name. Listen, we love you guys. We want the best for you. We want you to be able to live in the freedom of Christ. And I hope you'll do that this week. And I hope to see you next week. Um, if you will, kind of leave quietly as people are still praying and being prayed for. God bless you.